Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks. I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Dave Bittner. Dave is the host of the Cyberwire podcast, co-host of the social engineering podcast Hacking Humans with Joe Kerrigan. Dave is also the co-host of Caveat with Ben Yellen, where they discuss law and policy and surveillance and privacy, and Control Loop, where they discuss ICS and OT. And Dave is uh, helping me out today because Brian is uh, is out this week and possibly next week. Uh, we will discuss that when he comes back. He will be the butt of many jokes, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, welcome, Dave. <laughs> we send send all of our love to Brian and tell him that we miss him and we look forward to him coming back. But uh, he's being Indeed. well taken care of right now, handling some things that need his attention. Yep, yep. Um, so uh, last week we talked about Adobe Podcasts, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I got in. I got into the beta. Um, <laughs> okay, for folks who aren't familiar with this, let's let's give a little rundown on what exactly what this is. Okay, last week you sent me a video that we posted in the show notes about a guy in a field who was using just an on-camera mic, and he kept getting farther and farther away from the mic, and he would compare his camera audio and then with Adobe Podcast Enhanced Audio, which is one of the features that they offer, mm-hmm. and. I went and I listened to it, and I was just like, "Oh Jesus, I'm out of a job." <laughs> and <laughs> right, because I don't, I don't know if a lot of people know that my bread and butter is audio restoration for podcasts. I fix crappy audio, basically mm-hmm. for a living. When I'm not doing this, I'm either reading audiobooks or fixing other people's audio. Well, half of my income is going to disappear in the next twelve months <laughs> because <laughs> I got in. After watching your video, I'm like, okay, I got to I got to hit them and get into this thing so I can try it out. And I threw some of my crappy audio that I got from clients this week uh, from just guests who had bad setups and ran it through it. And I sent you a sample. Did you get a chance to listen to it? I did. I did. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's I mean, but that's the here. My thought on this is I think for a lot of. The history that you know you and I have sort of been in this game, there were some tools that did these sorts of things, right? You could remove the, you could dial down the noise from a an, a noisy air handler or something like that, yes. Right? But you still needed someone at the controls to dial it in and know what to do and not to do, and there were limits. And yeah, so me. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and the folks who are really good at that, the folks like you, would rightfully poo-poo the one-button solutions that claim to be able to do this kind of thing. Because they could, but mostly they couldn't. Yeah. And my feeling with Adobe Podcasts is that it can. Oh, it can. And then some. <laughs> so I right. took... I, I can't, I can't uh, unfortunately post the video or the audio because it's from a client show that has not aired yet. Uh, yeah. But... I, I had already cleaned that audio using $1,500 worth of professional tools, using Isotope RX10 Advanced, using Ozone and uh, many other tools and, you know, some EQ and using my ear to to make that audio sound good. And within 10 minutes, I could upload the same audio and get it back. And it sounded better than what I could do. So better. And I was pissed. <laughs> I still am pissed. <laughs> Now, in your experience, have you 
uncovered any shortcomings in this? Does it get tripped up anywhere? Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. I've thrown everything at this thing, and every time it comes back sounding unbelievably beautiful. It's it's crazy. It is crazy good. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, that's, we've used the one. There's there's one built into Descript that they call Studio Sound, which is also quite good. And before Adobe came out with their tool, uh, I thought that the one in Descript was kind of the it was the one to beat in terms of single click, clean it up, make it sound better. And it was really good at, or and it is really good at uh, getting rid of room reverb, um, making people who are slightly off mic sound like they're on mic dialing in an EQ to make you know give them more presence than they would otherwise have where it tends to fall short is it, it you can end up with something kind of like a pumping gate you know yes. where yeah. uh if something's below a certain level it'll just fall off and so you lose sometimes you lose the beginning and ends of words or things it sounds like something's being gated in a funny kind of way yeah breath uh, kind of sound saying, unnatural you know yeah, yeah yeah but you're saying you haven't seen that with Adobe's version not yet. Not yet. Mm. Like I said, I'm I'm actually running client stuff through it now because it's so nice. It is mm-hmm. so nice. And it's free right now. So I'm gonna keep right. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat this thing into the ground. This show will be run through that tool. It is going to save <laughs> me hours, especially with Brian's audio, because Brian's audio is I mean, I love the guy. He's got a nice setup. He's got a mix pre three uh with you know, a five hundred dollar um E V R E twenty seven N D. And yeah. it still sounds terrible just because his room is terrible. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm. I mean, you know, there's only yeah. so much you can get to. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I ran some of his audio through it, and I'm like, damn, there's, well, I get an hour back of my life for that. <laughs> so the tools mm-hmm. are coming. The tools are definitely coming and are going to change the game. Uh, sad thing is, it's like, you know, podcasting right now is in the crapper thanks to the advertising drop off. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's a different, that's a different podcast altogether. Yeah. But I, I wonder also if we're going to end up with a signature sound that comes out of this. In other words, will it be like auto-tune, where you, if you have an ear for it, you can tell or not? You know, you, see, you know what I mean? I do get what you mean. What I've got are reference files for basically every guest that I have, or I mean every mm. host that I have. So I still use those very expensive tools because what you can do is you can take a sample that is the gold standard of that person and you can use that in isotope rx10 advanced to do what they call eq match and it Mm -hmm. will take take the eq from one file apply it to another without having to know anything it'll it'll sample one create a fingerprint and then apply it to other files that's what i've been doing because it does sound a little flat um but it's it's flat in a good way that you can then enhance Mm -hmm. You know, so I think mm-hmm. there's still going to be, there's still, you know, for the editor, there's still going to be some, you know, there's going to be some human interaction because you're still going to have to edit. You know, you're not going to have, right. you're not just going to take it, run it through and put it out. So you can still put your own flair on it, but it gets you 95% of the way there without spending two hours running these massive filters on it and removing mm-hmm. dial, you know, like stripping dialogue from the background and things like that. And it's, like, yeah. it's kind of like Photoshop now. It's like, you know, in the old days, you'd sit there with the, you know, the path tool, you know, <laughs> cutting people out. Now I literally, so I open a photograph and I hit select subject and it does what used to take me an hour and it right. does it better. <laughs> so. Right. right. With one yeah. level of undo. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, seriously. So I think that uh, I think what I'm really looking forward to with these tools, because I want to talk about AI in a second and other AI tools, is that it's going to free us up to do more story, more things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get to I chat GPT right. in a second. <laughs> that that well, gets blown out of the um, water. <laughs> For us, I think what we're excited about with these kinds of tools is we get so like you know we I think I did I, I ran a little uh, I ran, ran a little of the numbers through one of the uh, scheduling packages that we use here, and last year I did about eight hundred interviews in twenty twenty two. Good yeah. lord! Yeah, so um, that's it's a lot, but. Yeah. Uh, these people are calling in from every possible location and situation that you can imagine. Oh, yeah. So to have a tool like this that allows us to drop it in, get us to that 90, 95% point with no effort. Yeah, <laughs> right? zero effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the audio team is, is just going to rejoice because th- that's I, sometimes that can be the fun work, but usually it's not. You know, it, it's interesting to take to tackle a new problem and see if you can do it, but it quickly becomes kind of drudgery. So yeah. if you can take away the drudgery. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm always a bit uh, hesitant to embrace. I, I remember back in my broadcast TV days. Um, it was during the era when. They were bringing robotic cameras into newsrooms and studios. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So instead of having camera operators, instead of having a camera operator at every camera, you had a single operator controlling all the cameras. And the advertisements for these robotic camera systems said things like, um, and this system will allow you to free up your employees to take on more meaningful tasks around the... <laughs> yeah, 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 right. That's what's going to happen, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> sure, sure it is, yeah. So what is your outlook then for yourself in terms of being able to bill for that cleanup time? Does it just mean you have to come at it in a different way? Yeah, I think that that is definitely, you know... Uh, AI is going to eat, literally eat my lunch on that one because that Mm. was, uh, you know, I do bespoke cleanups for people. They would just send me stuff and I would spend the time to clean it up and just send it back to them clean. And that was a huge part of my business. It is going to be gone. Um, I can still do that for them, but it's going to be, it's like, okay, I used to be able to bill for two hours, you know, now I'll be able to Mm -hmm. charge for half an hour. And most of that time it's going to be downloading and uploading the file and waiting for it to finish. That's going to be most of it. Um, so that part I think is going to be, it's definitely going to take a chunk out of it. So I'm looking at diversifying my revenue streams, which I think is going to be what a lot of people are doing with all of this new technology that's coming out around, you know, the generative AIs, the text AIs, the image AIs and things like that. There's going Mm -hmm. to be a lot. And is you know, especially the voice AIs, part of my diversification is moving into voice acting and voiceover work. And what I'm seeing now is there is a lot of discussion right now about how do you how you write your contracts in that world for use for synthetic voice or train using your voice to be trained against a synthetic voice that can be used in the future. Right. And it's interesting to see that people are, at least in that world, they're embracing it. They're not sticking their head in the sand. They know it's here and there's nothing they can do about it. It's not going to go away. So I think at this point, people are you know, figuring out at least the smart people are not sticking their head in the sand, like I said, and figuring out how to work with this going forward to make sure that their skill sets 
are can still remain intact. Because I also see with and you tell me if you tell me if you think I'm wrong on this one. Yeah. Uh, a lot of you know just grunt writers who just pound out blog posts every day for you know twenty five bucks a post. Their job is gone. That their job is actually yeah. gone. What we're going to see is we're going to see people turn into prompt writers. They're going to be master prompt writers, just like master Google searchers were back in the day, and fact checkers. I think fact checking is going to be huge because a lot of the stuff that comes out of these AIs is just not, you can't trust it without another human's eyes on it to go say, hey, is that actually true? You know, because mm-hmm. you don't want to just run something through like GPT-4 that's coming out, which I don't know if you saw the size of the data set that they trained it against. It is going hmm. to be incredible. It is like a th- it's like a th- over a thousand times better than GPT-3 and GPT-3 already is mind bogglingly good. So, yeah, I, I mean, a couple of things come to mind. I, I've seen um, just this past week, I saw one of the I can't remember who it was now, but it was one of the big publishers, you know, a, a name you would know is already using generative AI to to create those kind of um, just vanilla informational sort of articles. They're already doing it. Yeah, we've seen that since GPT-2 came out. A lot of news mm-hmm. organizations were just taking, what they would do is they would like throw in a press release and have it re- rewritten by the AI, and then they would put that out as a post that they wrote, you know? Yeah, yep, and yep. And there are a lot of people that used to make, you know, not the greatest living, but a living doing that. They're shit out mm-hmm. of luck now. They're done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing I saw uh, this morning, uh, I was uh, cruising around over on Mastodon and uh, uh, somebody said, and I wish I, I had the the, um, the toot in front of me to properly credit them. But they said, uh, chat GPT is mansplaining as a service in that <laughs> Uh, in that, uh, it will provide you with information that is factually incorrect, but say it with absolute confidence and no regard for the level of expertise of the audience to which it is presenting it. And I think that's right on. I think, you know, because it's, it's, it's close. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I've certainly caught it uh, making errors, making basic factual errors, but it just presents them as if they are true. It, do, it, it doesn't hedge anything. Um, that's why so, I think we'll need fact checkers. Lots of them, you know? Yeah. Um, the other thing I that I've right. noticed though, I've been putting in, it, this is where it gets like creepy creative. I would put in just a few prompts about some things to get some show notes written for a show. Mm-hmm. And then I got a little crazy. I'm like, Hey, what if here's, um, an, a premise for a show, give me back like a log line for it. Right. And I've been doing this with, like, script ideas that I've had for some audio dramas. And it'll come back, and it will name the show for you. It will come back with, an like, a, a really good name for a show. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, mm-hmm. damn, I didn't even think about that one. That's actually really yeah. good. I've done that, too. I've said, give me a list of 20 names for a podcast about XYZ. And they're not bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <not> well, bad. <laughs> here, check this one out. This is, this is a tweet that I made uh, earlier this week. Listen to the dreary musings of the grumpy old geeks as they lament the state of the world and all its woes. A podcast as dark and gloomy as the Raven's Call, brought to you by the masters of melancholy, the grumpy old geeks. That was written by (laughs) ChatGPT when I said, give me a plug for grumpy old geeks in under 200 characters. That's what it came up with. And I'm like, masters of melancholy, I like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
The other thing I think about here is, and you could probably relate to this, I remember back in the very early days of digital imaging, when digital photography was first starting to become a thing, um, and then of course digital video as well. But uh, at the outset of that, there were a lot of people who were heavily invested in film, uh-huh. and I'll say emotionally invested in film, and all of the wonderful organic analog things about film. And I remember them saying things like, well, digital will never be as good as film. (laughs) And my response to that was, and usually I would just say to myself, would, no, it's going to be better. Yep. And I think, I think you can argue, you can make a case that that is true um, from the point of view that uh, digital imaging has far greater technical capabilities than analog film does and the you know what what it can do also the fact that there's nobody doing r&d on new film mm-hmm. it's done right all done um yeah so there are still the, the look please don't write me letters i understand all the great things about <laughs> film and why people love it and those are legitimate things and there are things that film does that digital does not but i maintain that for most people and most of the uses in the world today Digital is better than film. Um, And I think that's where we are with chat GPT, where we're at that early point where you can see where it's going. Yeah. And you can say it may not be there yet, but there's nothing holding it back from getting there. It's in the post. It's in the post. Right. Uh, Yeah, because, uh, I mean, look, you're talking to a guy who spent a couple years in college and, you know, cut cut his teeth on, you know, silver. You know, I had silver on plastic, silver on paper. I went to college for photography and all we did was film. That was it. Yeah. This was right when digital photography just started to come out. And the first digital pictures, I, the first digital scans I had was a a VHS camcorder hooked up to an Amiga, you know, on a, (laughs) on a stand. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So. Well, where, so back in those days, as, as into film as you were, what was your attitude to digital when you were a film guy, couldn't come fast enough. Really? I was, I well, I got to the point in in college where I was, I got allergic to all the chemistry, so oh. I ended up, I ended up having to bow out of photography because I was um, getting these two week long migraines and I couldn't get out of bed. And it turns out I was an idiot and I'd be sitting there souping my my prints in the bath, not in the bathroom, um, in the dark room. And I would, I, I was a kid. I wasn't paying too much attention. I would like, you know, have my hands in the fix, wipe off mm-hmm. the print, come out and eat a sandwich without washing mm-hmm. my hands. So I was basically right. poisoning myself the whole time. Yeah. Um, but then I moved into computers and here I am. But um, it was, it's one of those things where I had the first Apple Quick Takes. Uh, I've had mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. digital camera along the way, just, you know, waiting for them to get good enough. And now they are. And I've got, I've got an F3 and an F4 that are museum pieces in my studio, you know, Nikon F3s and F4s. <laughs> right. Which right. I could never. Yeah. My wife recently came to me with a little tiny Pelican case that she had found in a closet somewhere. And she said, what is this? And I opened it up and inside was the first uh, Kodak digital camera that we had ever purchased uh. for the company. It was actually made by Kodak. Um, I want to say it was like two megapixels. Um, and we bought it to gather textures for 3D rendering. 
Right. That's what I did too. I used that all the time for those. Yes. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. We did that yeah. a lot of that back in the early days. Yeah. 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 But you know, Kodak, they had a shot at it, but uh, you know, classic story. What what you know, same sort of thing. Why why was it not Sony who made the iPod? It's because they had too much legacy stuff to protect and and the rest is history. Yeah. I mean Kodak invented the digital camera. So yep. that's that's how that goes. It's like you gotta ride that wave, man. You gotta know where the future's coming. So, yeah. I'm just you want I'm, my Kodak digital camera. I'll send it to you. No thanks. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want. I don't even want my Nikon's anymore. I'm just like I have too much Fair junk. Enough. I don't know if you had a you know a fun display shelf or something, <laughs> but but I understand. Yeah. You got no. enough crap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Damn, I was hoping to get rid of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you can get five dollars on eBay for it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause, Somebody. Cause, that's the thing. It. It is somebody's rosebud, right? Exactly. You know, everything out there is somebody's rosebud. That's why the, the F3 and the F4, I got those on eBay. And um, like, I think I got the F3 for $80 with the drive. Still works. Checked it out. Uh -huh. Works great. The F4 <laughs> is in beautiful condition. And that camera, when it came out, was $2,000 in, 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 you know, 80s money, 80s and 90s yeah. money. And mm -hmm. I got it for 150 bucks. With shipping, because the thing weighs like 18 pounds. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, I put the batteries in it, and I put the film in it, and I'm like, where's the on-off button? Or where's the switch for the on-off? And I'm like, oh, wait. they're all. It didn't have an on-off switch. It was just, you put the batteries in, and it worked. It never mm. never turns off. I'm like, oh, that's right. It's just to move the, for the motor drive and the, the, um, uh, the meter. It's like, oh, man. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, mm. Good times. Yeah. Well, Jet GT, Jet Jet GPT is. Uh, I guess kids are starting to use it to write malware now, which is yes. kind of interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, just earlier today, I was recording hacking humans with Joe Kerrigan, and and uh, his story was about this, about how folks were. And I forget which uh, it was researchers at uh, you know one of the the usual suspects here. Actually, I have the script right here. It was uh, folks at Checkpoint were uh, running this through its paces. And one of the funny things about it is when you try to get ChatGPT to write malware for you, it will first say, oh, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. But if you ask it in the right way, you can get it to do that. You, basically, if you say, I know you can't, but if you could, what would yeah. you say? And, then, uh -huh. and then, it'll, then it's happy to do it. So it did. Yeah, I tried to have that... I tried to have it write my obituary and they're like, no, you can't do that. And I tried every variation and it was, it, it was oh. pretty, pretty slick about trying to do that. But, uh, I'm like, That's come on, man. Yeah. They've got some pretty interesting guardrails up about what you can and can't do. And I think they're getting, getting better at people end arounding the, uh, you know, doing, doing the circumlocution to get to the, the answer. Could you just ask it to write a tribute to you? In other words, as if you were receiving a fabulous award. Here's the downside of chat GPT. It doesn't know who I am. Yeah, I got. Oh. I don't have. I don't have a Wikipedia entry, so it has no baseline. But it knows everything about grumpy old geeks, and it knows my name, and it knows Brian's name, and it knows your name. But it yeah. doesn't. It like if I ask it for me specifically, it won't say he's the host of the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. But if I ask okay. it about Grumpy Old Geeks, it knows about me. So that's where it's like it, it's not really intelligent. It's mm -hmm. it's putting words together on based you know based on frequency that it sees in its models. So. It's not really, you know, that's the thing. People think it's intelligent. It is not intelligent. 
it is still machine learning, but it is mm-hmm. still just creepy good. But you know, yeah, kinda, that's it. Seems to know who work. I am. It will. It, if you ask who I am, it'll say that I'm the host of the CyberWire, and uh, and then it has some other sort of florid things to say about me, which is very nice. And rather than because it's certainly you know, there's plenty of bad things it could say about me, but it holds back. So I appreciate <laughs> that's that. That's very nice. But, very um, nice of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be an interesting next couple of years, I think for sure. Unlike crypto, this actually has uses. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, crypto did have uses if you were a criminal. I give it that or a shyster. Yeah, yeah. Again, Joe and I were talking today about how um, you know, one of the tells for bad phishing emails has always been wonky English. Oh and so man, you can just run anything through this and say, "Please check this for good English," or rephrase this in perfect English, and it'll do it. And so, I think that tell is going away. It's gone. Mm-hmm. It's going to be harder and harder and harder. So we'll see. I mean, people are coming up with you know detectors for this, but I've run some of my copy, you know, from some of my old blog posts through it, and it thinks I'm a robot. So maybe mm-hmm. we are all in the in the metaverse. Or in the in a simulation, maybe Elon was right. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I saw this one and just had to. I had to put it in here. Police app exposed secret details about raids and suspects. Did you guys cover the Sweep Wizard uh, story? Yeah, I actually reported on this yesterday. Um, not in a whole lot of depth, but uh, it just seems like this particular app left a whole lot of information hanging out there, including confidential stuff that shouldn't have been shared. Yeah. So the point of this app is so that law enforcement in in a multi-jurisdictional environment can coordinate their raids together or any of their takedowns, right? Mm -hmm, Which, mm -hmm. okay, better than, I guess, better than a group text thread, you know? (laughs) Probably better than that. (laughs) Yes. Right. Hard to get worse. Yes. So... Now, here, here's where it really gets funny. Uh, th- this is a mission called Operation Protect the Innocent, which was basically a kitty. They were taking down a kitty porn ring, right? Mm-hmm. Going after mm-hmm. 600 suspected sex offenders. And so the LAPD was leading this up, and they used this app, Sweep Wizard, and put in everybody's details and everything. Now, here's the funny part. They were using a free trial of the app for this massive yeah. raid. I'm like... Do you guys not have like 20 bucks? Can you not pay for the app? Uh, Right. But so they put in all of this information and apparently it was all asked to the wind and people could could go and, and, you know, I'm sure it was like probably some uh, API endpoint that was not very well secured. But uh, apparently the LAPD didn't even know about it until Wired got in touch with them and said, hey, do you guys know about this? And they're like, oh, no, we don't. (laughs) Or they may have and are playing dumb, but. Yeah, this is one of those things I mean, where it's like they should really have better operational security on an app that is going to have all of this information when you're dealing with law enforcement. And the fact that nobody in law enforcement actually vetted this shit is, mm-hmm. is just it's it's a head scratcher. It's a total right. head scratcher. Yes. And if I were the defense attorney for any of these folks who are being accused of these crimes, I'm I'm sure I'm reading all of this with great interest. Yep. Yep. I mean, I'm sure it might. I don't think it's going to get anybody off, but it may have some reduced sentences for uh, leaking mm-hmm. some information, possibly, possibly. Um, but still, it's it's not good. Uh, you know, the, you know, the people who really have a case are the people who were innocent and got caught up in this. And 
their lawyers are going to have a field day with this because that's major. That's major. Right. It's going to cost them a lot more than it would have if they would have just paid for the damn app. So the company would have had the funds (laughs) to actually do their security (laughs) research to lock down their app. You know, that's right. Uh, Jason, as, as it so often is, it's pay me now or pay me later. Yeah, exactly. Everyone needs a world-class VPN. Grumpy Old Geeks recommends private internet access to protect your online privacy and identity. Private internet access never keeps any records of their users' online activities, so you can be assured that you have complete privacy and nobody knows what you're doing online. No matter your technical skills, private internet access is one of the easiest VPN apps out there. All it takes to connect is just one click or tap and your data will be encrypted instantly. With just one private internet access VPN subscription, you can connect up to 10 devices at the same time. Go to GOG.show slash VPN and sign up today. For a limited time only, you can get our favorite VPN for just $2.69 a month when you sign up for two years. GOG.show slash VPN. That's GOG.show slash VPN. Warmer, sunnier days are calling and it's time to fuel up with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor Fresh's never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day that you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? Step into a world of endless culinary delight with over 35 enticing meal options and over 60 tantalizing add-ons refreshed weekly. This May, supercharge your wellness journey with dietitian approved dishes built on ingredients you can count on. Treat your taste buds every day from sunrise to sunset with effortless nutritious choices, spanning from energizing breakfasts to delectable desserts. Indulge in the luxury of restaurant-caliber meals right at home. Savor the sophistication of filet mignon, the freshness of shrimp, and the bold flavors of blackened salmon. Simplify your life with Factor Meals, ready in just two minutes. Say goodbye to grocery runs, tedious prep, and cleanup. I love these things. I can't even tell you what I had this week because I had so many of them. But that's the great thing about Factor. Every week you have new options, and they're delicious. And you can tailor your eating experience with six specialized menu options. Whether you're looking to cut calories, boost protein, go meat-free, or maintain a well-rounded diet, they make it easy to support your lifestyle goals. Tune in to taste, convenience, and wellness with every bite. Head to factormeals.com grumpy50 and use code grumpy50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code grumpy50 at factormeals.com grumpy50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. 
It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Media Candy. So this week, I checked out a movie called The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix. It just came up one night when I was just scrolling through. And uh, it's got Christian Bale in it, so I was fairly yeah. surprised. I'm like, I've never, I'd never even heard of this, and it just uh, popped up on my my doohickey. And it's uh, it's apparently in some theaters. They're, they're, this is one of those movies that they're throwing out there to you know for Oscar noms. They're, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Well, because I mean, January is generally when they dump the stinkers, right? I guess maybe, uh, but it's yeah. not a stinker. That's the great part about it. This movie okay. was awesome. Huh. It was great. Uh, it's about a detective who was hired to investigate a murder at West Point. And one of the cadets at West Point is Edgar Allan Poe. So there's this great there's this great interaction between the detective and Edgar Allan Poe as a young man who is very cool, very creepy. And the, the casting is awesome. I mean, they nailed Edgar Allan Poe in this. I don't know what they did with him, but man, he looks just like every etching or drawing you've ever seen of him. It's fantastic. Hmm. But um christian bale awesome in it he's usually pretty awesome um wouldn't want to work with him but i love watching him on on the shows um (laughs) and uh it's directed by scott cooper who i don't know off the top of my head but um i gotta say this thing was incredible i i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it it is one of because i'm a murder mystery kind of guy like right school murder you know i'm a i'm a poirot you know holmes kind of guy Mm-hmm. So this really took took me back to that. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I highly recommend it. I see Gillian Anderson's in it also. Yes, she is, and it took me a few minutes to figure out it was her. She's really, uh-huh. really good and really creepy in it. It it doesn't really look like that. I mean, I don't know if they aged her up a bit to make her look a little mm-hmm. bit older, but I, I, I caught her voice before I got her face. Oh, which was yeah. interesting because I'm like... <laughs> Isn't that funny when that happens? And you, that happens to me a lot because for whatever reason, I'm, I well, I guess for obvious reasons, I'm very tuned into voices. And uh, it happens to me all the time, especially like um, my wife and I like to watch old sitcoms like The Mary Tyler Moore Show or uh, um, Bob Newhart. And, and sometimes there'll be a guest star on one of those shows and I'll go, I know that person's voice from somewhere. Like where where do I know that person's voice from? One time it was the actress who played uh, Ursula in The Little Mermaid, uh-huh. you know? but it was 30 years ago. And I'm going, I know that voice. Where's the voice from? <laughs> um, yeah, isn't that interesting? Hmm. Well, I have to check yeah. it out. I, I, I like a good murder mystery as well. Uh, so a, a hot recommendation from you, huh? Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. Love okay. it. You know, 10 thumbs cool. up or 15 thumbs up if you're using uh, one of the generative AIs. <laughs> they can't figure out thumbs yet. What else you got? Yeah. Uh, Brian last week recommended 3,000 Years of Longing uh, with Idris Elba. And um, I think it's Je- is it Jessica Chastain? No, no, no. It's, uh, oh, what are those other crazy actresses? Her name is Tilda Swinton. Uh, Swinton. Yes. Tilda Swinton. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic little movie. He was totally on the nose with it. You can't really say much about what it is. But, uh, I mean, from the trailers, you can see Idris Elba plays a genie. And... 
Oh. It's really good. It it really reminded me. It has the aesthetic of Baron Munchausen, the uh, Terry Gilliam oh. movie, huh. and has a lot of feel like that. And it's surprisingly, it's an R-rated movie because there's lots of nudity and uh, stuff like that in it. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But the story is great. <laughs> it, it's taking you. It's taking you some places, and you don't know which is which. In what's it, you just have to watch it to kind of get the gist of it. But. Um, I 100% thumbs up recommend this this movie okay. for sure. Well, you mentioned the, the uh, nudity, as you put it. Um, my son Jack and I have been making our way through The Boys. Oh, lots of and, nudity um, in that. <laughs> well, so he's already watched all of them. So we're watching them together. And uh, at the beginning of the episodes, it quite often says, you know, this this episode contains... Nudity, violence, strong language, adult situations. And we always say to each other, there's something for everyone in this show. (laughs) (laughs) There is. Yes, there is. Let me tell you that um, I am very much enjoying the boys. And I know I'm late to this particular party, but we're about halfway through the third season. Uh, Liking it a lot. Um, It is an interesting experience to watch a show as graphic as the boys with your 16 year old son. Oh, I bet. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> Sometimes when I just kind of you know, squirmy, shield, make you a little shield, squirmy. Well, there. <laughs> I mean, we're we're pretty open about things, and so it's it's. I there are times when I kind of shield my eye, like cover my. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. like, well, we're not going to talk about that part of the show, but yeah, um, yeah, I can but, see that. You know, I mean, these kids, they're they're these kids today in high school. There are no mysteries about things so None. because they have all no. all the world's information at their fingertips so it's not like you're going to get a question like what does that mean dad or what what's he talking about like probably the go, other go way around you ask right. he's yes, a, exactly, yeah, you're exactly. Like, what the hell are they talking about right. well, let me explain to you dad <laughs> yeah i don't understand that p- bit of slang what is that oh 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 yeah 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 <laughs> did you have you seen all the boys Yes, I am caught up. Uh, season three was hard at the beginning because um, mm-hmm. there was some there was some stuff at the beginning was just like I don't need to be seeing this like this, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I fast forwarded some bits of it uh, just because I knew I knew where they were going and what they were going for. Um, yeah, it's just you know shock value, and I just I skipped a bunch of stuff. But yeah. um, all in all, I thought you know the first couple episodes were a little bit meh. But by the halfway point, it really kicked in, and I loved the rest of the rest of the season. I thought it really ended well. So okay, well, I'm, I'll look I'm forward to that. Forward, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to season four because I think it's the okay. last season. Oh, but, okay, uh, good. I think, I think, yeah, that's what I heard. Um, All right, no, definitely digging it. And I dug into Jack Ryan season three. I've I got one episode left. Uh, it's decent. It's decent. It was a little confusing at the beginning. Uh, me and my roommate were both a little confused, but uh, huh. we finally got the hang of it, picked up, and uh, I, it's really well done. It's beautifully shot. Um, it's interesting that Jack Ryan is now Jason Bourne. Uh, that's that mm. was the you know that's the conceit that they gave gave into on season one. It's like okay, we're not he's not going to be an analyst. He's going to be an action analyst. So, and this is the guy from The Office, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, whose name is escaping me right now. <laughs> I was thinking uh, Tim Kazarinski. I'm like, no, different guy no. altogether. <laughs> John Kaczynski? Is John Kaczynski, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the skinny guy from The Office is Mr. Buff Jack Ryan. Uh, okay. But uh, it's really good. It's really good. I, I recommend all three seasons. It's not, you know, it is not, you know, the Born Identity level good. Uh, yeah. But it's the Born Identity 2 level good, I think. Okay. 
So definitely worth watching when you're done with the boys. But first, <laughs> check out the pale blue eye. That one I that one I really I really recommend. That really got me going this year. All right. Good. We'll check it out. Oh man. Well, Dave, thank you for stopping by today. I really appreciate it. And no, uh, my pleasure. <laughs> Anytime. And uh like I said, we'll look forward to having having Brian back, but uh, great to catch up in the meantime. I'll see you soon. In the news. Big thanks to Dave Bittner for stepping in for Brian for a little bit longer than he had to, and I really appreciate it. And he will be back to fill in for Brian for the whole show next week. So hopefully he hasn't started 17 new podcasts and will be good to go. I do have a little follow-up here. Since Brian is not here, I thought I would uh, play with him a little bit. Uh, I saw this article called The Vinyl Comeback Continues. Vinyl album sales in the United States have grown for the 17th consecutive year, according to Luminate, which is an entertainment data company. Uh, 43.5 million LPs were sold in the U.S. last year, which is up more than 48-fold compared to 2006 when the vinyl comeback began. If you remember when we started this show back in 2013, which I expect almost no one to know about because... Anybody that listened to this show back then is probably long gone. But we have been joking about the vinyl resurgence for almost 10 years, actually for 10 years now. And it still keeps going. It is going up and up and up. Uh, but you have to remember that it is only uh, less than 5% of the actual music sold in the entire world. But these are U.S. numbers. Uh, here's the odd part that I thought was really funny. Uh, Luminate has found that only 50% of the people that buy vinyl actually own a record player. So I think that is very interesting. So apparently the kids nowadays are listening on Spotify, but they're going to go buy the album and either keep it on the shelf, or if they were smart, they would rip it open and look at the liner notes, which is what made albums great. Liner notes. Remember those? Lyrics, behind-the-scenes stories, photos, things like that. So hopefully that's what's happening, which would be, uh, I, I could get behind that. Microsoft is back in the news, not for the Activision thing this week. We're not going to talk about that. We have joked about the HoloLens deal with the Army in the past and saying that, uh, yeah, this is a bad idea. Let's let's strap goggles onto our soldiers and send them out into the wild. Uh, well, there was a big test last year, and it turns out that basically they're bad. They are very bad, and they are probably going to get people killed if they are not fixed. Well, the Army wanted to buy a lot more of them. And our, you know, our terrible government at the moment actually did something right. And they said, no, hold the phone. They wanted $400 million to buy up to 6,900 of them this year. And they suck. So what they have done is they have actually pivoted a bit. Uh, they're going to use $125 million from last year's money to work on version 1.2. Um, so that's not that great. Uh, they also got another $40 million to help develop the new goggles. But, uh, yeah, the uh, everything that the soldiers are saying is it, it doesn't work, makes them sick, hurts their neck. Not anything that you would want to have happen to our highly trained forces that are out there in the wild actually trying to do their job. This seems like something that... Uh, is not going to fly, and you just put it on your shelf next to the Oculus 2. The difference between the Microsoft Army HoloLens and the Oculus 2 is that the Oculus 2 will not get you shot. Well, we hope not. And this next one comes from Dan. I uh, appreciate that, Dan. Proof of delivery photos for many Amazon packages publicly accessible for months. 
Now, this is uh, if you are getting packages up in Scandinavia. There is a company called Brunswick News Inc., which was uh, owned by another company and then got shifted around and moved and bought. But, of course, there was an unsecured Amazon AWS database, which had all the tracking information, geo-coordinates, and the photos of deliveries. So while the actual names and addresses weren't there, the the geo-coordinates were there. But a lot of times there were addresses on the photos because of the label on the box. So you could actually find out who lived there, or you could actually just Google it and probably figure it out on your own. But that's bad. And we've seen over and over and over again, Amazon AWS is like giving a handgun to a toddler because eventually something bad is going to happen. And this just is proof positive that it just keeps on coming and coming and coming. Now, New York City schools have decided to ban ChatGPT, citing fears about safety and accuracy. Or, you know, cheating, like we would like to call it in the past. I don't care about safety and accuracy. I call it, but call it cheating. And they said, no, you're not going to be able to access ChatGPT from our school computers. Well, obviously, like most schools are not that smart because, you know, kids these days, they have their own devices. They have VPNs. They have cellular data connectivity. Or they could just do it when they go home, since there really isn't a way to tell if kids are using ChatGPT right now. Like Dave and I mentioned, uh, we're going to have to have people who are prompt writers and fact checkers in the future. I think teachers are going to become fact checkers and digital sleuths at this point. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But this is just this is an empty threat, meaning nothing at all. And I've mentioned on the show several times over the decade that we've been doing this that I hate software patents with a passion. Software patents are evil, 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 evil. Uh, IBM has been the top patent holder or patent creator in the United States for decades. This is the first year, or last year was actually the first year, where in 2022 they dropped off the top spot and uh, basically Samsung came in and took the spot. And Samsung did 8,513 patents last year and IBM only did 4,743. That's a lot of patents. Uh, Samsung, yes, they make hardware. I can get behind hardware patents because, you know, there's a lot of R&D behind that and it's very difficult to do. I'm sure they have software patents in there too. But, you know, IBM, who, who uses IBM stuff anymore? I mean, this is not 1982. I don't get it, but uh, I guess they're still in business. I know they were doing some blockchain stuff. Wonder how that's working out for them right now. And Dave and I didn't bring this one up, but we should have. Uh, Microsoft's new AI can simulate anyone's voice with three seconds of audio. Now, they're calling it VAL-E, a neural codec language model that builds off a technology called Encodec, which Meta came up with back in October last year. Now, they do some, some craziness with how they, how they model the voice, and I listened to some of the demos, and they're not great yet. This is very, very early days on this stuff, very early days. Now, I find this interesting because... They used an audio library that was put together by Meta called LibreLite. And it's got 60,000 hours of English language speak from over 7,000 speakers, mostly pulled from LibreVox, which is a site where they do public domain audiobooks. So anybody can go into LibreVox, you know, find a, a project that's ongoing and read for a book that eventually goes into the public domain. Now, I see the performance going into the public domain. 
And that person's performance and you can do, you know, it's, it's it is public. I mean, you can take and do whatever the hell you want to with it. But I do not believe and we're going to have to find some lawyers to actually have a, a chat about this at some point. Taking that person's voice and then training an AI on it so that person's voice can then be replicated by a for-profit company is pretty much, I'm sure, not what anybody signed up for when they started doing LibriVox books. Because I personally would have enjoyed doing some LibriVox books because it's good practice for, you know, reading audiobooks, which is what I do in my spare time now. And I would be, I would be pissed off. If I found out that Microsoft or Meta had taken my voice and created a synthetic version of it without my permission, without any contract or anything. So I went through the LibriVox's Terms of Service and there is nothing in there. It is a website that looks like it was built in 1992. So I think that they're going to have to get with the times on this. And I'm going to I'm going to ask around about this one because this is kind of important. If people are taking these works from people who have obviously not said that you can use my voice for, you know, generative AI or because it didn't exist when they made these books. Nobody thought that that was going to be a thing when they read these books. And now their voice could end up being, you know, the voice of your car or something like that if they're actually very good at it, which is possible because I, some of those LibriVox books are decent. Most are not, but most of us, just check them out sometimes if you want, you know, free audiobooks or just get an Audible account, I guess. This last one, you're going to have to actually go to the site to check the link. It's, uh, this is a very interesting one. The, they found the footage of the Thanksgiving Day crash in San Francisco where a Tesla Model S basically crashed on the San Francisco Bay Bridge. It crashed because it was running the full self-driving uh, the new feature that had just come out. It had just come out and the guy was using it and the car decided to, oh, turn on its turn signal, get in the left lane and stop. Just stopped in the middle of the bridge, big pile up, lots of injuries. And it, you just have to watch the video to see how, how bad it is. And of course, this is right after it was released and Elon is being Elon, saying it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we keep saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. The more I see Teslas on the road, the scarier I get when I am actually out walking because they're terrifying now because nobody knows who's doing what and everybody's playing with the things and you got your, you know, your giant iPad. Look, I know I'm being, you know, chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. But as these stories keep coming out about how Teslas and the full self-driving and the autopilot don't actually work, just, you know, be scared of these things. Just kind of, you know, give them give them some room. And if you're actually a Tesla owner and a Tesla driver, keep your damn hands on the wheel and your foot like by the pedals because these things don't work that well. Go check out the video. It's in the show notes. Ups and doodads. Got a couple quick things here real quick in the apps and doodads for Christmas this year. I got the Ember Travel Mug 2 as a Christmas gift from my dear friend Chris Lockhead and his awesome wife, Carrie. And this is a mug, a heated mug, of course, with terms of service and an app and the whole nine yards, which, you know, when he, when, when I got it, I opened it up. I'm like, thank you. I have, I have a dual duty gift here. I have show, I have, you know, material for the show because now I have a mug with a Bluetooth app on it and uh, it's a mug that I can use. And it turns out that this is one of the greatest gifts anybody has ever given me because I am 
in front of my computer talking all day. And while I'm talking, I'm sipping on tea and my tea gets cold all the time. So I have to go refresh it or microwave it or, you know, just top it off with hot water. It's just it's a pain in the butt. Let's just say that for an eight hour session, you go through a lot of tea. This keeps my tea at the perfect temperature of 145 degrees, which is 62.5 degrees Celsius. And it it works beautifully. It works beautifully. Uh, it is not cheap. I think they retail for 200 bucks. So uh, unless you really need the uh, the actual heating element to keep your stuff warm, uh, which I guess probably might be an edge case. Uh, it's got a great sealed lid on it, hand washable, nice power uh, station that you can just plop it on, like basically a powered coaster that sits on my desk right now where I'm talking to you from. I love this thing. It turned out that I thought was going to be the biggest joke turned out to be one of the greatest gifts I've ever gotten. I use it every day and it is making my life fantastic. I love it. So check it out. The Ember Travel Mug 2. Link is in the show notes. And I was playing around with Clash Royale. Clash Royale, GOG.ShowClan. Shout out to my guys over there. Uh, we're we're doing good this week. We're doing good. If you want to join, we've got some slots. So open up Clash Royale and just search for GOG.Show. We do have a minimum uh, threshold that you have to have played up to before you can join. But, you know, we've been around for six years, so it's it's a it's a nice group we got going on over there. Um, but I had my my iPad Pro on my desk, and I had forgotten that I'd turned on, I think it's called Sidecar, which is where you can use your mouse and your keyboard on your iPad if it's close enough to your computer. So I started playing Clash Royale with my mouse on on my iPad and it worked out great. And then I just went back to work doing the other thing. The only issue that I found, and maybe somebody can uh, track this one down and tell me why this doesn't work. And I, I've tested this on multiple iPads with multiple keyboards running the same sidecar setup. There is no, shift does not work on any of my keyboards. Doesn't matter which one I use. Caps lock works, but shift does not. So if you actually want to use any symbols, you're kind of screwed. Uh, but it, you know, Using the mouse to play games on an iPad is kind of nice. I got to say, for some of the games that I played, it is actually kind of nice. So that is an interesting workaround. Give it a shot. If anybody out there knows why the damn shift key won't work, let me know. It's driving me crazy, and I am very, very curious. Closing shout outs! Sorry for the short show this week. Dave will be back with me next week so we can have a full show in, you know, full force with uh, the full grumpitude, and Brian will be back the following week after he is done with uh, whatever he's doing. So, over at Patreon, we've got Martin, Blake, and Tom, and Tom wrote, where else can you get Star Wars Universe updates delivered during a security ha segment? Here, Tom, here. And over at PayPal, I think this is a short list because Brian has been AFK. Uh, we'll pick everybody else up on the, the PayPal next time. But we've got Benjamin, Ralph, Miles, and Sherry. And over at the tip jar, we've got Linda, Jeff, Christopher, and Theodore. So thank you all for donating and keeping the lights on here because it means the world to us, and it's the only way we can keep doing the show. So until next time, I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Jason DeFilippo. Thanks for listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. If you enjoy the show, visit GOG.show slash donate to help us keep the lights on and we'll love you forever. You can also help us out by sharing the show with your friends and enemies. It's easy and absolutely free. Show notes for this episode are at GOG.show slash 584. Go watch that Tesla screw up traffic on Thanksgiving. From there, you can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as links to our swag and Discord channel if you want to buy some stuff or chat with us and other show fans. You can also head over to GOG.show slash contact and send us your feedback or questions that we can read on the air. 
And if you're so inclined, please head over to GOG.show slash review and toss us a snarky review and preferably five stars. Stay grumpy.